0: Irma Bombeck once wrote, and I don't know how many of you remember, she's been gone for a while, but uh, some of you that have been around a while, you remember her. She was she a was brilliant writer, brilliant writer, very funny, but she once wrote this. She said, for the first four or five years, I had children. I considered motherhood, motherhood a temporary condition, not a calling. It was a time of my life set aside for exhaustion and long hours. It would pass. Then one afternoon, with three kids in tow, I came out of a supermarket pushing a cart with four wheels that went in in opposite directions, when my toddler got away from me Just outside the door, he ran toward a machine holding bubblegum in a glass dome. In a voice that shattered glass, he shouted, gimme, gimme! I told him I would give him what for if he didn't stop shouting and get in the car. As I physically tried to pry his body from around the bubblegum machine, he pulled the entire thing over. Glass and balls of bubblegum went all over the parking lot we had now attracted a sizable crowd. I told him he would never see a cartoon as long as he lived if he didn't control his temper. Excuse me, and if he didn't control his temper, he was going to be making license plates for the state. Well, he tried to stifle his sobs as he looked around at the staring crowd. Then he did something that I was to remember the, for the rest of my life. In his helpless quest for comfort, he turned to the only one he trusted his emotions with me. He threw his arms around my knees and held on for dear life. I had humiliated him, chastised him, and berated him, but I was still all he had. That single incident defined my role. I was a major force in my child's life. Sometimes we forget how important stability is to a child. I've always told mine, the easiest part of being a mother is giving birth. The hardest part is showing up for it each day. You know, Mother's Day is a day traditionally that when, when children, set, children set aside, to, that we set aside, when children give something back to their moms for, for all the spit that they produced to wash dirty faces, for, the, for all the old gum that they held in their hands, for all the noses that they wiped, for all the bloody knees that they made well with a kiss. This is a day that mothers are rewarded for washing all of those sheets in the middle of the night driving kids to school when they missed the school bus, and enduring all the football games in the rain. It's Appreciation Day for making your children finish something that they said they couldn't do, and not believing them when they said, I hate you, and for sharing their good times and their bad times. Their cards won't reflect it, but what they are trying to say is, thank you for showing up. Thank you for showing up. How many of you are familiar with the old Calvin and Hobbes comic strip? You remember anybody remember those? Uh, some of you do. You, uh, they have not been printed, been out of print for a little while. But on one Mother's Day, Calvin is pictured standing by his mother's bed, and you have to understand Calvin. He was just always he was just a real he was just a tornado, uh, you know, waiting to happen. But he said, "Hey mom, wake up! I made you a Mother's Day card." She says, oh my, how sweet of you. I did it all by myself, he said. Go ahead and read it. And she begins to read. And this is what it said in the card. I was going to buy a card with hearts of pink and red, but then I thought I'd rather spend the money on me instead. It's awfully hard to buy things when one's allowance is so small. So I guess you're pretty lucky I got you anything at all. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. There, I've said it. Now I'm done. So how about getting out of bed and fixing breakfast for your son? And she said, I'm deeply moved. And he said, did you notice the part about the allowance? Some of you may feel like Calvin's mother this morning, wondering if anybody's going to say thank you, mom, for all the good stuff that you do. Being a mother is a tough, tough job. And we recognize that and we honor that today. I can't think of a time in history, honestly, when it's been harder to be a Christian mother than today. It seems that virtually everything is pitted against your family. You send your your kids out into a world that's filled with dangers like drugs and alcohol and pornography and and who knows what else. And you're you're almost afraid for them to get beyond the, the end of your driveway. The schools, they used to reinforce what Christian parents tried to teach in the homes, but that's not the case any, any longer. Now, there, there are certainly some wonderful Christian teachers, and we are so grateful that God has them in the school system, and they're doing all they can to reinforce those godly values. But there are many who teach things that undermine everything that you're trying to teach as a Christian mom. The world today is is pretty much aligned against the family, and every mom wishes that she could build a wall around her kids and protect them from everything going on in the world. Even in the home, the assault on the family continues on television. Even during shows that are supposed to be safe, they hear language that you don't want them to hear. They, they see lifestyles portray, portrayed that you don't want them exposed to. They teach things that you do not believe. And on, on top of being, the, difficulty of being of the of the difficulty of being a mom, society seems to be tearing down the importance of motherhood. They minimize that. And when we're, told, we're told that women who choose to stay at home with their children and that they're somehow second-class citizens because they haven't reached their full potential in life. My my goodness. I mean, honestly, even in today's world, you're being told you don't even have to be a woman to be a mom. Let's be honest. Tony Tony Campolo says that his wife is a brilliant woman. She has a PhD and is capable of pursuing a very profitable career, but she elected to stay home with her children when they were young. Her decision didn't bother, bother her at all, except when other women would ask, what do you do? And she would answer, I'm a homemaker. I stay home and take care of my children and my husband. That's what I do. And they would always respond with, oh, and then just ignore her from that moment on. So Mrs. Campolo, Dr. Campolo really came up with this response when she was asked what she did. She started saying, I'm socializing two homo sapiens into Judeo-Christian values so they'll they'll appropriate the eschatological values of utopia. What do you do? And they'd often blurt out, "I'm I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer. And then they just wander off with a dazed look in their eyes. Being a mom is a tough job, and often being a mom is a thankless job. This morning, I I want to look at at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and and, and I want to use her as a model of motherhood. Uh, She had some difficulties, too. Every mom in this place, you've had difficulties, some more than others, but you face difficulties, you face hardships, and Mary did, too. And I want to talk about those, but but I want to look at her difficulties, but I also want to look at the resources that she had to help encourage all of the moms that are here today. So in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, this is what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So as we look at Mary today, I want to, I want us to take a few moments before we do Before we get into what I want to say, would you just bow your head and just pray and just ask for the Lord's help today. Lord, we come into your presence, and Lord, there's nobody here that needs to hear anything I have to say, but God, I know that there are people, there are moms here who need encouragement, there are moms here who need something to grab hold of, and and Lord, I can't give that to them, but I know you can. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to every mom, that you would encourage every mom, that you would remind every mom that you are with them, and that God, that something that is said in today's message would be an anchor for their soul. It would be something that they can use as a rudder for their life. Lord, it's something that will encourage them as they, as they move forward with all that you've called them to be and all that you've called them to do. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I want to look at Mary's difficulties and look at Mary's at, at resources, but let's begin with her difficulties. The first thing is that Mary, Mary had a problem, and that is that Mary had to deal with, with a tarnished reputation because Mary, as we just read, as we know, Mary was pregnant out of wedlock. Now we know that the child that Mary bore was conceived of God. We understand that, but no one else did. The, the community at large where she was living, they, did, they didn't get that. And I think, I think we can understand why. I mean, would you believe someone who told you they were pregnant with God's child? If somebody came up to you, you would be like, yeah, right. You might, you might be real kind and say, walk away saying, I think she needs some help. But, but, but she grew up with this idea around her, this cloud of suspicion around her life that, that somehow she had done something wrong and sinful. In the town of Bethlehem where Jesus was born and in Nazareth where Jesus was raised, tongues must have been wagging. I mean, I know that doesn't happen in today's world. Nobody ever gossips about anybody nowadays. Please catch the sarcasm in that. But, uh, but, but they had to have been. And Mary had to deal with a negative reputation. S- some mothers have to deal with issues like that today. So, And, and you know what the worst thing is? Is, is when 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 uh, your children throw up that, that past to you and throw it up in your face. They say things like, you were pregnant before you were married, so who are you to lecture me on morality? Or you've been married and divorced three times, so who are you to talk to us about the sanctity of marriage? Or you were really party animal when you were young, so who are you to tell us about the dangers of drugs and alcohol? You know, it's really hard to deal with. It's really hard to deal with when you're talking with your kids and they know some of those things. That's why a lot of times parents don't even tell their kids about their past, but it's difficult to deal with, but it's not impossible. In fact, those moments present a, a real opportunity for you to teach your children that as Christians we're saved by God's grace and that he has forgiven us all of our past sins. It gives you a moment to say, listen, you look at me now and you can't imagine it. That's because of the grace of God. That's what God can do in his life. But the truth was God wanted to keep me out of those things. But because of my stubbornness, I ran into him headfirst and it caused all kinds of trouble. But it's an opportunity for you to be able to them, to tell them those things and let them know we're not going to repeat those things. We, we teach our children that we don't want them to repeat our, our mistakes. You know, another thing that Mary had to deal with that maybe some of us can understand at least to a certain degree, that is that Mary had to deal with poverty. Anybody here ever have trouble making ends meet? Let me see your hand. I just want to make sure that I'm in the right crowd because, yeah, that's life, right? Especially nowadays with inflation going crazy and, you know, gas costs so much that you have to, you know, take out a second mortgage to fill up your gas tank and it's expensive. Things are tough, but Mary had to deal with, with, with poverty. Everything in the Bible indicates that Mary and Joseph were poor. I mean, Jesus, the son of God, was born in a barn, was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. That's a very meager beginning. And all throughout his life, we're reminded of the poverty that is there. Matthew eight twenty, Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have deaths, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. For every person who's ever been homeless, they need to know Jesus knows what you feel like. Maybe as a mother today, you're, you're feeling financial pressures, especially in today's economy. You're, maybe you're, you're in that place where where you can't give your child everything that other children get. Have you, ever, have you ever seen that where other children just get the most expensive of everything and you just know there's just no way you can give that to your children and you just can't afford it and, and there's that pressure in there to, to somehow, and you almost feel like you're letting them down some way or another. Maybe you feel it's just not fair that you can't buy $200 athletic shoes and designer clothes for your children and all the latest fads and fashion. There's pressure to go into debt to make sure your child gets everything that everybody else's child is getting. But I encourage you to resist that temptation and realize that that again is an opportunity to teach your children some important lessons. Because you know what? One of the best things our kids can learn is that the most valuable things in life, money cannot buy. Our children need to learn that the things for which you spend lots of money, that they only last a short while. And then they're gone. In fact, not only that, the the excitement, the joy of having something new only lasts a very short time. Then all of a sudden the newness is gone. It's like when when you buy a, a new big screen TV and you're like, man, finally I got the biggest TV in the neighborhood. And then you go to a friend's house and you see one that's even bigger than yours. And suddenly you're like, oh man, man, now I need a new TV. That's the thing that's th- that says, we've got to have more, more, more. I've got to measure up. I've got to have the best. I've got to have the biggest. We've got to have all these things. And we need to be teaching our kids, no, you don't. That's not going to bring you happiness. It's not going to bring you joy. And any happiness that it does bring is going to be very short-lived. And in the, in the end, it's going to break. It's going to run away. It's going it's to tear apart. It's not going to last. Or you're outgrow it or whatever it may be. It's just not going to last. The things that are most important cannot be bought and sold. Jean Barron writes in Reader's Digest about the the old mobile home where she lived with her teenage son. And she said the home was structurally unsound and the plumbing always leaked. She was ashamed when her son brought friends home because of their meager surroundings. One day she learned that her son's best friend, who who had all the material things that a a person could want, she was shocked to find out out that he, he had run away from home. And she said, I was, I was really puzzled, so I asked my son, why? Why did he run away from home? He explained, well, mom, at their house, they have a lot of environment, but not very much love. Here, we have lots of love, but not very much environment. You see, it's not the things that make a house a home. It's not buying all the latest gadgets and the best of everything for your children that would give them a sense of security and belonging and a sense of, of love and, and peace and acceptance that you want to give them. It's the love that you have in your heart. In fact, those are the things that will impact not only their lives, but their friends. I remember when I was a kid growing up and, you know, a few years ago, I lost my dad. I, 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 always, I have to always catch myself and rephrase that. I didn't lose my dad because my dad was a godly man. I know where my dad is. I didn't lose him. Uh, but he was gone to us. He went on and graduated into heaven. And, and I remember uh, friend after friend from my time in, in high school especially. When, uh, when they would come by the house there at my, at my mom's house and stop to see us and at one after another, after another, after another, they kept saying, man, your dad, your dad, he taught me. I came from a broken home. He taught me what it meant to, to love a, a wife. I'm the, I'm the husband I am today because I learned that from your dad. Or they'd say, I came from a home where, where, where there was no love and I learned what a real dad was supposed to act like by watching your dad. And now I'm the dad that I am because of your dad. You know what? We never had stuff. In fact, there were so many times in my life when my dad worked two jobs just to make ends meet. And I remember even having a conversation with my dad a, years, a few years before he passed away, and, and you know, he, he looked at the stuff that he had and the house that he had, and no, it wasn't the greatest of houses, and yeah, it had issues and had problems and those sort of things. And he looked at me and he said, he said, "Man, you know I just felt I like, feel like I should have more, I should have uh, be in a better position by this time of my life." And I told him, I, I said, "Dad, you know, you've got everything that really matters." Eventually, he agreed with me, but it wasn't because of the stuff that we had that made the house powerful and had made the house filled with love. It, it was the love that we offer. Another problem Mary had was that at least for part of the, his lifetime, Mary had to raise her children as a single mom. That's a hard thing. There are a lot of single moms today. So there's a lot of people that can relate with Mary in this. We know that Joseph was with her. At least until Jesus was 12 years old. We know that he was there that long uh, because we know he was there when Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. We know the story where he got left behind and they found him and said, well, I had to be about my father's business. So we know Joseph was alive there in Jerusalem when Jesus was 12. but, But after that, we never hear of Joseph again. And most scholars believe that he died sometime when Jesus was in his teens. You know what? There are lots and lots of single parents today. And I want to say this to every single mom uh, and, and the dads too, uh, every single parent in this place, I want you to know you are the unsung heroes of the church. If you are a victim of divorce or if you've lost your spouse or, 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 and are left with children that you've got to raise alone, you're, you're an unsung hero in this church because here's what I know. You're doing double duty. You're trying to fill two roles. You, you work all week long and you come home exhausted. But then on Sunday morning, you, you get your kids up on Sunday morning and you wash their faces and put on their best clothes and you bring them to church because you want them more than anything else. You want them to know Jesus Christ. That's a hero in my book. You know, another problem Mary had was she had to watch her child as her child was being rejected and abused. I think you know this, it's tough to watch your children being rejected and abused, isn't it? Way tougher than to deal deal with it if we're being rejected and abused. One man said, I can remember when my son came home crying because no one would eat lunch with him in the lunchroom. He said, I wanted to go to school and beat those kids to within an inch of their lives. Every time I saw one of my children rejected or left out, I hurt more than they did. We can relate with that. I remember when my oldest daughter was in probably fourth grade, something like that, and I remember going to pick her up from school one day, and there was some bigger girl that was a few people behind her, and I watched as, as that little girl, that girl was picking on my daughter, and, and first of all, I was like, where are the teachers, you know, and then the second thought was, can I get away with murder? No, no, that wasn't, wasn't quite that extreme, but I wanted to go bully her to show, Hey, you, you think you're big and tough because you're bigger than her. And you know, but, but there's, there's something in us that when we see our children hurting, it's way worse than we're hurt than when we're hurting ourselves. That's why every parent, I thought it was a lie when I was growing up. I thought my parents were lying to me because they'd get ready to whoop me And they'd say this thing. They'd say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I'm like, first of all, I I don't believe you. I feel like you're lying to me right now. I just don't believe that at all. And second of all, if that is true, then dad, just don't put yourself through it. You know, I just wanted, I'm just thinking that, you know, but, but, but then after I became a parent, I began to realize, man, I had no idea how true that was. I had no idea. So you can just imagine how Mary must have have hurt, how she must have ached inside when she saw Jesus being rejected. You know, even early on, Simeon told her, the the priest, he said, sorrow like a sharp sword will break your own heart. Mary must have felt that when they said things about Jesus, when they said, oh, he's demon possessed. Can you imagine somebody saying that about your child? Or saying, oh, he's a blasphemer. He speaks blasphemy. He's crazy. He's a drunkard. He, He said all of these things about Jesus and more. And, and, and can you imagine the pain that she felt as she heard those things said about Jesus? And can you even begin to imagine the pain she felt as she watched Jesus being crucified on Calvary's Hill? You know, one of the hardest things we have to deal with as parents is watching our children suffer rejection. How many of you remember Jerry Clower? I'm pulling out a lot of old names. Jerry Clower, if you don't know him, he's a great big guy. He's a comedian just a country comedian, and his size would make you think he was a professional football player, but he told a story about a time when his son was was the field goal kicker for his high school football team, and one day, his son had a chance in a game to kick the field goal that would give his team the lead, potentially would even win the game if they could hold him, but then as he he made the kick, the kick went wide of the uprights. He missed it. A man about four rows up from where Jerry Clower was sitting, jumped up and began heckling really loudly. loudly. He would say, who's that kicker anyway? He could hit the broadside of a barn with a football. And he went on and on and on, which by the way, parents, be aware when you're yelling that there are parents that are nearby hearing these things. And he went on and on and on ridiculing Jerry's son. Well, Jerry Clower, as I said, he was a huge man, size of a professional football player, big man. And he said, I took all of it I could, and then I made my way up through the crowd. And I sat down next to that guy and looked him right in the eye, and, he, and I said to him, you need to thank Jesus that you're still alive. And the guy said, what do you mean? And Clower answered, that's my son you're ridiculing, and the only reason you're not dead right now is because I'm a Christian, and Jesus won't let me kill you. <laughs> can, you can you say amen? amen. We face that pain when our children are hurting another uh, uh, the, these are all challenges that that mary faced that moms face but you know what as we face these things and there, are, it's not an exhaustive list there are all kinds of other problems you, that you face but there mary had some valuable resources that helped her and they can help you too first of all the best thing of all is that mary was doing god's will Luke 138, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. There is something reassuring and knowing that you're acting in harmony with the will of God. When you know you're doing what the Word of God says, when you know that you're doing what God wants you to do, there's something very powerfully reassuring in that, that even in the midst of all the trouble, in the midst of all the pain and all the problems and all the issues, that it gives you a sense of peace and a sense of rest because you know, listen, it may not be easy, but I know I'm doing what God called me to do. Everything else may be falling apart, but if you know that you're doing what God wants you to do, that's a very, very reassuring place to be. James Keller said, every mother has the breathtaking privilege of sharing with God in the creation of a new life. She helps bring into existence a soul that will last for all eternity. Mothers realize that your greatest responsibility and your greatest privilege is is to raise your child to know Jesus Christ. Above, that's more important than them learning good manners. Now, good manners is important, especially in the South. It's more important than them learning to say yes, sir, and and, and or, or no ma'am or any of those kind of things. Those are important things, but you know what? The greatest thing that they need from you is to, is to learn how to know Jesus, to lead them to a place where they don't just know about him, they haven't just heard about him, but they know Jesus as uh, personally in themselves. If, if you succeed in leading your children into a personal relationship with Jesus, then I'm here to tell you today, then you are successful, regardless of how how much stuff you have or don't have. If you go out of this world penniless, but your children know Jesus, then you are a wealthy woman. Because you've got something that's going to last for eternity. That money just doesn't last, does it? Second thing Mary had, she had a supportive husband for at least 12 years. And and I want to just shift gears for a minute. I want to talk to the men. Men, one of the finest things that we can do as husbands is to support our wives, to love our wives, to be there for our wives. Let them know that we love them, that we're behind them, that we support them virtually in any, virtually any decision they make. I read a story about Jack Benny. Uh, Jack Benny was a rather shy uh, young man when he, was, when he was young. One day he, when he was at work, he saw a, a young lady that, that greatly attracted his attention, and, but he was just too shy to speak to her. I, I don't know about you. I was that way when I was in high school. I was really shy and couldn't, didn't, didn't know how to talk to girls. I was such a geek. I mean, if you look up the word ger, nerd, that's the word I'm trying to say. It's not that complicated. I don't know why it's so hard. Uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, my picture is there. You should see like my sophomore... High school yearbook picture i 'll show it to you sometime if you promise not to not to laugh till after you leave the room. but, but I, I can relate with him, but he was just too shy to talk to her. So what he did was he went to a florist and he ordered one red rose to be sent to her without any card enclosed. And every day he repeated that order. After four days of receiving one red rose each day, the young lady went to the florist and asked who was sending them. The florist said to her, she, he said, "Well, some guy." all I know is that he works where you work and his his name is Jack Benny. And she said, yeah, yeah, I I think I know who that is. So she went back, she searched out Jack and and asked him why he was sending her those roses. And he told her that he wanted to ask her out, but he was too shy. and, And, but he, but he asked her out in that moment and she accepted the invitation. Well, other dates followed. That, that first one, but still, even after that first date, every day she continued to receive one red, one red rose. Well, Jack and Mary got engaged, and Mary figured that the red roses would stop, but still they came. Finally, they were married, and, and even on the honeymoon, she continued to receive one red rose each day. But once the honeymoon was over, she figured, well, surely that'll be when the roses w- will stop. But month after month, year after year, all of their married life, every day without fail, she received one red rose well finally jack benny died but the very next day there came another red rose thinking that maybe the florist somehow hadn't heard that uh, that he, that that he had passed away she called to tell him about jack's death and 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 to let him know that he could stop sending the roses now but he said oh no you, you don't understand he said before he died jack made all the arrangements you will receive one red rose every day for the rest of your life. Men, if, if you start showering your wife with some attention, she may not know how to react. And I know it doesn't come naturally to us. I mean, most of us guys, we don't even know what we're feeling, much less being able to express what we feel. I mean, listen, ladies, I'm telling you the truth. When you ask your husband, you say, what are you feeling? When they say, I don't know... They're not just trying to get out of the conversation. It's just that they got so many things going on and they can't figure out what's going on. We're just not very good at figuring those things out. But man, I want you to know, if you will choose to be intentional, if you will, that's what the, the power of that act with Jack Benny was, was that he did something intentionally. He did it on purpose. He said, this I can do. Now, I can, I don't know about you, but I couldn't, especially the prices today, I couldn't afford to send a, a red rose every day uh, of every of, of my wife's life. But there's something, I can do. There are things I can do consistently. There are ways that I can express my love. There's ways that I can let her know I am there for you. There's ways that I can consistently say, I love you. I've got your back no matter what. The best thing you can give your wife, and by the way, it's also the best thing you can give your children, is to love your wife. The best thing is not flowers and chocolates and cards. Those things are only valuable in the sense that they are expressions of love. But it's to be supportive of her. It's to pray for her. It's to encourage her and to always be there for her. You can help your wife be a a better mom than she's ever been. Next thing that Mary had is that Mary had a close understanding friend to Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was actually a relative. Some of you may not realize, but John the Baptist and Jesus were were related. They were cousins. Um, But but, uh, uh, Mary went to to see Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was years older than Mary, but they they had a similar experience because Elizabeth was also, she was also expecting a child of miraculous birth. And Elizabeth during that time served as an encourager to Mary during this very, very difficult time in her life because it was hard. Don't, make, don't, don't mistake it. It was not a bed of roses for Mary uh, during those years of her pregnancy, especially as the child, she began to show that child and the tongues began to wag and people began to say, hey, yeah, she says it's a child of God. Mm-hmm. Sure. And Elizabeth was, was there the whole time saying, listen, I know the truth. You know the truth. I, uh, and, and I know God is in this. It's okay. I'm here. Listen, I, I, you need to know that there are marriages breaking apart. That there, there, there are moms whose children are, are, are like the prodigal son who... Who who went uh, is? Uh, they're going haywire. They're going crazy. They're they're walking through pain. They're walking through sorrow. They're walking through rejection. They feel lonely. They feel lonelier than they've ever felt in their life. And there are people like that around you who need you to be an Elizabeth for them. So my point is today, not necessarily for you to find li- an Elizabeth. I hope you do. I hope you search one out, an, uh, an older lady who can uh, who, who's been around who can who can be there and help walk through some things with you. But even more important than that, I want you to know you can be an Elizabeth to somebody else. Somebody around you needs a word of encouragement. Someone around you could gain strength to make it through the the hard times that they're facing if you will be a friend to them. Maybe there's an older woman here who could just put their arm around a younger woman and say, I know things are tough for you. I know things are really hard. I know that you don't know how you're going to make it through, but I want you to know I don't have the answers but I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Is there anything I can do? Anything in, at all in the world I can do to be of help? Maybe you can call someone up and say, Hey, why don't I babysit for, for you sometime this week so you and your husband can have an evening out? You know, we have to become the extended family for, for people. I, I've, I think I've become more aware of this over the years because this, this is the closest Julie and I have lived to family in our entire ministerial career. Since 1990, when we got married, we moved to Idaho, from there to Nevada, from there to South Carolina, and now here in Arkansas, we're only like seven hours away from family. It feels like we're practically next door. But you know, during those places, the thing was, God always gave us us a family or a couple or people usually older than us who just sort of adopted us and took us in as family. And every place we went, there was somebody that helped us because when we had a sick child and we needed to take care of something, we couldn't call mom and say, Hey, can you watch the other kids? We couldn't, we couldn't call up relatives. We couldn't drop off kids. We couldn't do any of those things. We were there by ourselves. And if it wasn't for the extended family of the church, we would have been in trouble so many times, so many times. And that's what we have to be as a church. We've got to be the extended family for people out there who, who need family, who need somebody. Because maybe, maybe they're not far from their family. Maybe their family near, lives nearby. But how many of you know there are some families that don't want anything to do with their kids? And they still, those kids, they need somebody to be a, a parent, a mom or a dad to them. Maybe that's the reason the writer of Hebrews said, and let us not re- neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The reason we gather together is to encourage one another, especially when you see that the time is drawing near. The church needs to be that kind of fellowship as we, as we become a, an extended family for one another. Well, The good news is for Mary was that she was rewarded. She was there when Jesus was raised from the dead. Yeah, she had to watch him be crucified, but the good news is she got to see him raised from the dead. She was among the 120 people when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. She saw her other children accept Jesus as the Messiah, which was no mean feat. I mean, listen, it's hard enough to accept Jesus as Messiah. But when you saw him growing up, uh, you know, let, listen, if my younger brother came to me and my older brother came to me and said, hey, by the way, I'm the Messiah. You should bow down and worship me. <laughs> I'm just thinking well, things are just not going to go very well. So I'm just I just think it was a miracle that his brothers that they accepted him as the as the Lord. And not only that, on top of all those things today, she is in heaven as a part of his kingdom. You know, I said, I kind of mentioned this earlier, Mother's Day is a kind of a mixed bag. And I always come to Mother's Day with really uh, mixed emotions because I come to it with a lot of excitement, a lot of joy, and I get excited about Mother's Day. But at the same time, I approach it with a bit of fear and trembling. Because I'm never quite sure exactly how to handle it because I know there are all kinds of different people who are going to be present. If you've experienced the death of your mother, th- this could be the, a day of, of mourning and grieving as you remember her and, uh, and, and, and how much you miss her and how much you wish you could talk to her again. If you're childless, then you know Mother's Day can make you feel empty, maybe unfulfilled. If you had a poor relationship with your mother, you you may be here today feeling a bit guilty and wish somehow you could undo all of that. If you have rebellious children who have rejected your prayers and your teaching, you may be here today and you feel like a failure. You feel like you've disappointed God. But here's the good news. The Bible talks not just about imperfect earthly families and how we can help them. Thank God He does tell us uh, and help us through those things. But the Bible talks about our our eternal family. That's the good news, is that no matter where you are, no matter if you come to Mother's Day and you've got some of those sorrows, some of those pains, or you're coming here and you're on cloud nine and you're just loving life because, you you, you know, you still have your mom and you've got kids and everything's just wonderful and you just love Mother's Day. It doesn't matter where you fall in the spectrum. The good news is, in the end, in the end, we're all family of God. We're all the family of God. One day we will be with God, who is our Heavenly Father. One day we will be with Jesus. One day we will be with the great family of God and in the place that God has prepared for us through Jesus Christ, and we will live with Him forever. That's the good news. Why is that good news? It's because when you're trying to get your kids out of bed and they won't move and you're and you're and you're frustrated with them and you and you feel like strangling the p- very people that you love more than life itself any parent ever been there if you haven't you probably have a very young child in that moment you can remind yourself it's not always going to be like this it's not always going to be like this and if it's something you know i mean obviously that's a s- smaller thing if You're grappling and you're saying, oh man, I just miss my mom so much. Or you say, man, my relationship with my mom was so horrible. I wish I could have fixed that. I feel guilty about that. Or you you feel like a failure as a mom for whatever reason, wherever it is, you just need to remind yourself, this is not all there is. This is not all there is. There's hope beyond this life because of Jesus. In the meantime, while we wait, we just want to say thank you, Mom, for all you do to make our families the best they can be to the glory of God. I know, you, I know it's never perfect. It never, it's never exactly the way you think it will be. But Mom, first of all, can I tell you? You're doing way better than you think you are. You're making a difference. You're a light in a world That's becoming very, very dark. And you are making a difference. You're making your family the best it can be. But you're doing it for the glory of God. That's what really matters. Bow your head together with me. Father, I thank you for every mom in this place. I thank you, God, for their selfless hearts. I thank you, God, for the way that they pour their lives into their families. The way they give up everything that they long for. Lord, really, they pour it all. They, they give up anything they need to give up to be able to take care of the children. They would, without a doubt, I know they would lay their lives down for their kids if that's what it needed to happen. And God, in that, I see a real reflection of your heart. And so, God, I thank you. Thank you for the moms. I thank you for the grandmothers because, Lord, we know that just because your children grow up and have their own children doesn't mean your job is done. But you still got a lot of training, a lot of teaching, and a lot of encouraging to do for your grandchildren and for your own children. Thank you for them, Lord God. And I just pray, Lord, that today that they would feel encouraged, that they would know that no matter where they are, what they're feeling, what difficulties, what problems, that God, in the middle of all, all of that, that you're with them, that you will sustain them, you will strengthen them, and in the end, Lord God, they, they, they still get you. You're the prize. You're the prize in the end of this. That it, this is not all there is. Give us that eternal view, Lord God. When, we, when the things of the world begin to, to tug at our heart, and we begin to wish we had more things, begin to wish we could provide better stuff for our kids, remind us, Lord God, that those things pass away. Those things are not what really matter. The things that really matter in this life the things that are the most valuable are things that money could never ever buy lord i pray that you would make us people who reflect your love help us lord give us wisdom give moms in this place wisdom to deal with every situation some lord god i know are at their wits end trying to figure out what to do with their child the child is making choices that are foolish The mom just doesn't know what to say or what to do. Give them wisdom. And beyond that, God, I pray that you would work supernaturally in the heart of that child. God, I pray that you would just lead and guide, protect, encourage, strengthen, give rest and peace to every mom. And I pray, God, that today, in Jesus' name, that every mom in this place would be honored, that they would know that your hand is upon them and they would realize your voice is whispering. You're doing great. I'm here with you. Be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray.